Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Hour Podcast, episode 201. And we're so happy to be back. We missed you guys last week. It's we always did. weird when we don't have an episode go up. <laughs> I know. And then we end up doing like an episode, just you and I just randomly someplace talking. And we're like, oh, we should have just recorded this. I know. We had several talks last week on our trip where we were like, we should just have We mics. did. We did. I did bring that up. I was like, oh, we should just bring like a digital recorder with us sometimes. Because sometimes we get into the most intense and deep conversations yeah. just about life and like revelations. And, and I think I, I forget even what I was talking about. I think I was talking about like life after death or something like that. And we were just Maybe. like talking about different ideas that we had. Yeah, we were getting to the conspiracy realm too. Yeah, we were. We were diving back into that. It's been a while since we've went around that that block. But yeah, maybe maybe more of that in the future. We'll see. Anyway, it has been a while. Well, a week since we've seen you guys last. So we have a very interesting episode for you today. And this is one that I think, especially if you're on the younger side, you may not know much about this topic. And you'll probably find it very mind-blowing and fascinating yeah i mean i'm almost 30 and i I don't recall even knowing that this happened well yeah we were pretty young 2004 what Mm -hmm. elementary school still or were we in middle school like maybe sixth grade okay yeah sounds maybe Uh, we started high school in 2007 so yeah oh okay so it would have been like fifth going into sixth grade somewhere like that yeah yeah but anyway, today we're going to be talking about the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami, which is the most destructive and deadliest tsunami in recorded history. This tsunami was especially destructive because before this, there was no alert system. Mm-hmm. There was no way for people to even know that a tsunami was heading for their coastline before it was right on top of them, which is truly scary to think about because this tsunami hit all of the countries pretty much that border the Indian Ocean. I believe there were some alerting systems in other parts of the world, the Pacific Ocean around Hawaii, because of course there's the ring of fire that goes all the way around from the right. West Coast of the United States all the way around Japan, up Russia. And so I think they had some alerting for tsunamis there. But in the Indian Ocean, they really had nothing at all. Yeah, that was the most surprising part about this to me. I had no idea. So there really wasn't anything people could do when the tsunami hit. So Today we're going to be talking about the obviously the effects of this tsunami, but also kind of look into how does a tsunami actually occur? What triggers a tsunami to happen in the first place? Along with you know what happened in the aftermath of the Boxing Day tsunami, along with survivor stories, because the survivor stories they made some of us cry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's extremely sad and just hard to even believe what these what people went through yeah. when this hit. Because, again, people had no idea before it was literally on top of them. Yeah. And as, you know, devastating as it is to hear these stories, I think it's really important to tell them because, I mean, media just was not as broad back then. There was not social media the way it is. I just don't think as many people know about it. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. And I don't think people really think about it. I know I don't. When I go to the beach, I don't ever think about, uh, you know, some tsunami coming in. Right, which not all beaches have the possibility of a tsunami, right? I mean, I think there is a possibility anywhere for a tsunami. But to that But yeah, degree. to the level of the Boxing Day tsunami, no. Because again, tsunamis are created generally by two things, volcanoes and or earthquakes that occur under the ocean floor. And sort of that displacement energy mm-hmm. creates this, this massive wave or surge that um, gets larger and larger as it heads to the shore. But we'll get more in depth into all of that. And again, the survivor stories are really 
the most important part of this and just trying to put yourself in their shoes for a moment and what what it would be like to go through such a a devastating event like this so it's a bit of a different episode so we're trying out sort of a different Mm -hmm. um kind of topic area because i mean there's a lot of natural disasters but i think there's something so intriguing about it as Mm -hmm. as horrific and horrible as it is i think there's good reasons to to discuss them and to go back and sort of take a look at them a little bit deeper and and see what people have gone through in the past because hopefully Mm -hmm. when you go through past events like this that are so devastating it also creates awareness around the actual disaster itself and you know you might learn something that might save your life one day you just never know yeah you ever find yourself in a situation we got a lot of comments along those lines when we covered white island right right and just how deadly some of these things are. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you just don't really think about it until, yeah. you know, you really look into these tragic events in the past. So the earth is freaking powerful. Yes, it is. So that's what we're going to be getting into today. Before we do, I just want to thank everybody that took advantage of our 420 sale at com. Oh, yeah. It was a major success this year. It's our biggest, mm-hmm. biggest sale yet so far. So thank you to everyone who purchased something from Higher Love Wellness. We really appreciate it. It, I mean, you're supporting a, family owned and operated business here in Colorado local we really do appreciate it yes we do but this episode of mile higher is brought to you by credit karma liquid iv stitch fix and stamps.com so let's go ahead and just jump right into things here we're going to start this episode by zeroing in on an area that this tsunami hit the hardest which was Banda Aceh Indonesia So Indonesia is made up of over 17,000 islands, and it's bordered by the Indian and Pacific Oceans. The country actually has the fourth largest population in the world. The climate is very tropical, and there's a huge variety of different exotic plants and animals. The biggest island in Indonesia is Sumatra, which is in the western part of the country. And Sumatra is home to lush rainforests with beautiful plants and many exotic animals like Sumatran tigers, rhinos, orangutans, and elephants. Unfortunately, almost 50% of its rainforests have been wiped out in the past few decades, though, and many of its plant and animal species are now critically endangered. Over 40 million people live in the 10 different provinces of Sumatra. Each province has its own unique history and culture. The Aceh province sits at the northernmost tip of Sumatra. Aceh's capital and largest city is Banda Aceh. The city is home to many beautiful mosques and beaches. The island of Sumatra also has to deal with its fair share of natural disasters, including volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, landslides, and tsunamis. For those who don't know, tsunamis are natural disasters caused by groups of powerful ocean waves. Tsunamis are sometimes caused by underwater landslides and volcanic eruptions, but they're usually caused by underwater earthquakes. When those tectonic plates shift, the water is displaced, meaning it needs somewhere else to go. If you are watching the video version of our show, we have a video diagram that kind of shows how this works, because I know it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but the water moves in a ripple-like way. It's similar to how water looks when you drop a pebble into it. At first, the tsunami waves aren't very tall, and they move slowly. The horizontal lengths of the waves are long, sometimes as long as 300 miles. Yeah, I was doing some tsunami research, and supposedly they can travel at speeds of 500 miles or 805 kilometers an hour, which is almost as fast as a plane. If you think, and if you think about that for a second, that's ridiculously fast. Yeah, a plane. That's crazy. Moving that fast. It's really hard to even think about. 
And I also found, this is also insane, 99% of uh, all people who die from a tsunami are within 160 miles of its origin. That's wow. so, so much uh, land coverage, I yeah. guess you could say. Just a huge amount of devastation. Well, if it's traveling at 500 miles per hour, think yeah. about how fast mm -hmm. that it can reach yeah. 160 miles in. And this is partly why this, this tsunami yeah. was so deadly is just because Sumatra was only hundred miles away from where the tsunami right. actually originated from. Yeah. yeah, and ships may not even notice the tsunami waves very much in deep water. We also have a ship animation example so you guys can see if you are watching the show. So when those waves start reaching the shore, they get taller and their horizontal lengths get shorter. Around five major tsunami waves hit the beach one after another. It's a common misconception that tsunamis come in one big wave. That's actually what I always thought. But they come in multiple waves, and sometimes the biggest wave is not the first one. All that water moves pretty fast, and it can flood an entire region in minutes. Without proper warnings, tsunamis can be extremely, extremely deadly. A lot of people weren't aware of how tsunamis worked or how deadly they could be back in 2004, and some people didn't even know what a tsunami was at all. So those people really had no way of knowing how to prepare for one. But that all changed after December 26, 2004. So December 26, 2004 was a typical sunny day in Banda Aceh. People went about their everyday lives or shopping, relaxing at the beach, celebrating weddings, honeymoons, or just spending time with their families. Because the 26th in many countries is actually Boxing Day. And it is on the 26th of every December. And it's a day full of shopping and Christmas celebrations. Like so many other people in Aceh, Wadari Dawam was outside enjoying the sunshine with her family. She lived with her parents and her siblings in a house right near the beach. But that morning, something happened that changed her life forever. At 7.38 a.m. local time, the ground began to violently shake. An earthquake had just struck the Indian Ocean 150 miles away from Banda Aceh. Widari's family immediately grabbed each other and waited for the earthquake to pass. The quake lasted for around 10 whole minutes, and it seemed like it would never end. It happened for minutes, for some minutes. I saw another people just like us, you know, some of them lying on the ground because the wave of the earthquake is so strong. As you saw, some people laid on the streets and gripped the ground. They were trying to protect themselves from the tremors, but the earth just kept shaking and shaking while objects started to topple all around them. The earthquake measured a whopping 9.1 on the Richter scale. It was the third largest earthquake ever recorded, and its energy release was equivalent to 23,000 Hiroshima-style atomic bombs being dropped. That's how much energy these earthquakes generate. A tectonic plate had ruptured and flipped about 50 feet. That ruptured fault line in the ocean stretched over 900 miles. And because of this, this rupture upset millions of tons of water in the Indian Ocean, and all that water needed somewhere to go. So the earthquake's force created a tsunami that produced waves as high as 100 feet tall. There was no tsunami warning system in Banda Aceh, though. Nobody knew that a disaster was headed for the city. Beachgoers on the shore noticed that the tide started to recede away from the beach after the earthquake. The water moved so far back that people could walk where multiple feet of water once stood and pick up fish flopping around.
if you were on the beach and you saw the water recede like that, wouldn't wouldn't that like make you pause for a second? Be like, something's wrong. Yeah. Well, a lot yeah. of people were like, "Wow, look at that! Look how how cool! I can walk way out yeah. here." Well, in 2004, I'm sure now maybe be a little different. Yeah, but I guess if you've never heard what a tsunami does, like you have no idea. Oh my god! Then it comes surging back. That is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Oh my god. Power. Boom. Rip through everything. Wow. I really can't even I'm imagine another one. what that would be like. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And you think it's over and it's not. It just keeps on coming. At first, many people were confused by the exposed seafloor. The tide just kept moving back further and further. Some people recognized that this was actually a terrible sign of what was about to happen. Some grabbed their loved ones and others around them and ran away from the coast. About 15 minutes later, though, the water started to rush back. The ocean made a super loud noise. People said that it sounded like a freight train or a bunch of freight trains or jet engines were headed right at them. And obviously, when you hear something like this, it's time to turn around and start running away from the shore. How can you even run? I don't know. You can't outrun a wave. People running in front of my house and shouting that water coming, water coming. We can't imagine how can the water coming. It's sunny day, no rain, no 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 clothes. I try to look outside my home to see the water coming, and what I see, I couldn't believe at that time. Is a very huge wave. I think that's one of the things that's so interesting and like unique about um, earthquakes and tsunamis specifically is because they happen when the world itself looks completely fine. You right. know, most other storms, you'd be like, oh, it's storming out. Mm-hmm. Right. It gives you a warning, whereas there's no warning for this. It can look yeah. like a beautiful sunny day, which is what a lot of people are like. What do you mean there's like yeah. devastation coming? It's completely gorgeous out. There's not a yeah. cloud in the sky. Do I even really need to panic? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary that even ships out at sea have no idea, can't even alert that there's some something like a tsunami coming. And they can't even feel like the earthquake yeah. necessarily when you're on the ocean. And so. what do you do if you're on a ship? I mean, mm-hmm. you have no way to avoid that. Widari and her family stayed outside after the earthquake. They knew it was safer to stay put while they made sure it had fully passed. But all of a sudden, they heard screaming and noticed that everyone was running away from the sea. We decided to just stay outside for a while because of the earthquake. So we wait for a while. And then I, was, I saw hundreds of people then. They, they, running, uh, they were running from the sea. They looked scared, very, very scared. And they were screaming. So that's when Widari saw a giant black wave speeding towards the shore. She said it was bigger than her house. The family ran inside and Widari held on tight to her sister. People ran as fast as they could to try to get to higher ground. Many people were able to get to safety, but there wasn't a lot of time. And tragically for many people, it was already too late. All of a sudden, a massive tsunami wave smacked into the coast with incredible force. It swept past the shore and onto the city where the water dragged nearly everything along its path. I start to feel scared because I saw a giant wave. It's higher than my house. 
force. Yeah. And look at just all the debris. And, uh, you don't want to be in that at all. Oh my God. We'd already felt the room fill with water and the house quickly burst under the pressure and everyone inside was swept away by the flood. My sister started to scream. So I just hugged my sister. The room is filled by water and then the house breaks. I'm in the water. I cannot breathe anymore. And suddenly I found myself floating on the surface of the water. I tried to find something. I tried to grab something and I found, I think it's a bag of a couch. I start to call my father, my mom, my husband. And nobody answered. And just how fast the current is moving too. It's not like yeah. you can just like swim out of that no. at all. Like it's it's taking you wherever it wants it's too to go. Powerful. People held on to their loved ones with all their strength to avoid being swept away in the massive flood. But for many families, it was only a matter of seconds before they got separated by the rushing water. The fast-moving flood swept away building after building, and parts of the wreckage became deadly for people caught in the wave. It was a fight for survival now, and it was hard to see under the water. And debris tossed people around and broke their bones, and obviously with glass being in the water, yeah. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do a lot of damage. People tried to grab onto anything they could to keep themselves from drowning. The current was so strong and it moved so fast that it was impossible to fight. This is a home video someone took. Oh my god. Look how fast it's moving. As the wave smashed into the coast, it swept away everything in its path. The wreckage of homes and boats carried along with the wave became almost as deadly as the water itself. Yeah, not only have water, nineteen-year-old giant roofs, yeah, sharp cars. objects, debris, metal. Yeah, people fleeing the waves took shelter in moss and stronger, tall buildings on higher ground. There, it was filled with the sound of people screaming and calling out for their loved ones. The next thing Widari knew was that she was floating in the middle of the sea, miles away from the shoreline. The waves had ripped her family out of their home, and all she could do is pray and ask God to save her from the flood. After the huge initial tsunami wave, more giant waves continued to hit the shore, and many of these waves were over 30 feet in height. Widari drifted in the sea for hours, and suddenly her prayers were answered. Someone had stopped to rescue her. After a few hours, I saw a small boat and an old fisherman on it. He shut down his engine. He took some rope and threw the rope at me. And that happened. I said thanks to God. And I said thanks to him many times uh, because finally I got out from the water. These tsunami waves spread throughout the Indian Ocean for the next seven hours. In some places, the waves reached 50 feet high when they reached the shore. 60% of the buildings in Banda, Aceh, were destroyed by the tsunami waves. In the Aceh province as a whole, around 140,000 houses were destroyed, and millions of people became homeless in a matter of hours. The tsunami took nearly everyone by surprise. Earthquakes were common in the area, but tsunamis were much rarer. At the time, there was no system in place that detected tsunamis in the Indian Ocean. 
So the people of Aceh didn't receive any sort of emergency tsunami warning message, and this lack of a warning claimed many more lives. And this tsunami did not just destroy Aceh. It hit 14 different countries and even caused damage as far away as South Africa. The nightmare was only beginning. Yeah, look at this. Yeah, look at the wave. Going 500 miles an hour all the way across the ocean. Just huge. All the way to Africa. That just shows you how much power was displaced or energy that was displaced as a result of this earthquake. That's how big it was. Because I I believe that the earthquake was on a a major fault line there. Look at that. Wow. Half the The whole world. Effects. Mm-hmm. I mean, in theory, it's even coming into Southern California. Yeah. Waves were a little bit higher that day. That's crazy. <laughs> that is. Over in Kowlok, Thailand, tourists and locals were having fun, enjoying the Boxing Day holiday on the beach. Kowlok is about 50 miles north of the famous Thai beach town Phuket. It's a group of villages with beautiful white sand beaches. We've been lucky enough to actually see them in person about six years ago now. Can you yeah, believe that? Yeah, well, we went there for our honeymoon. We, we did. It was stunning. Highly recommend Thailand. Beautiful Great place. place. Yeah. I mean, the beaches mm-hmm. there are some of the nicest in the entire world. Yeah. I see why people flock there. Yeah. It's just it's gorgeous. Lots of tourists from all across the globe spend their holidays relaxing on the shores of Phuket. Maria Bellon was one of those tourists. She and her husband, Kike, and their three boys came to visit Orchid Beach, the Orchid Beach Resort on holiday from Spain. At the Emerald Beach Resort in Kowlak, 16-year-old Jay Breesh was sleeping in. His stepmother, Sally, and his father, Stuart, and his 18-year-old sister, Shanti, were out scuba diving that morning. Jay and his 15-year-old sister, Kali, stayed behind. Their family was having a blast on their vacation. They had just spent the first leg of their trip in Bangkok, where Stuart and Sally had just gotten married. Now they were celebrating their marriage with the kids away from the hustle bustle of Bangkok. But there was something that had been on Jay's mind recently. He'd been having some wild dreams and it was really starting to bug him. Jay had actually been in a bad car accident recently. After the accident, he needed serious surgery on his neck and the recovery process was not easy. But six months before that accident, Jay had a dream. I went on a ride with a friend to one of my favorite canyons near Salt Lake City. Towards the end of our drive, we were in a car accident. The car rolled multiple times down the canyon and I broke my neck in four places, requiring corrective surgery. The craziest part of the whole thing was that I dreamt about the accident six months before it happened. I'd written it down in a journal and it was exactly how it was in my dream. That created a whole new facet in my understanding of life, but I sort of just shrugged it off at the time. I find it so interesting when people have premonition dreams like yeah, that. Yeah. I've never experienced that. But I feel like it would be kind of useful. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't useful for him. That's true. But he, I mean, he didn't know what to think of it back then, but. True. I guess you don't know until something like that happens to you. Then you start taking your dreams more seriously. Because then, you know, he started to have more strange dreams right before their trip to Thailand. And he had a really bad feeling about the trip. But he decided to go anyway. But those feelings still kind of ate at him while they were in Bangkok. By the time they were ready to head to Kowlak, Jay got cold feet. He couldn't shake the feeling that something terrible was about to happen. Before we left, I had another series of crazy dreams. This time there were seven. They all had water in them, and mostly I saw myself drowning in murky water while my family was on a boat. In one dream, I was staying in a beachside hut in a foreign country, and my last dream was of me at a funeral wearing only my boxers. 
I didn't know what any of that meant at the time, but it all made sense later. And Jay wasn't the only one in Kowlak who'd been having scary dreams about the ocean. Maria Balan also had been having scary dreams about tsunamis, too. I've dreamed about tsunamis several times before. Um, I don't want to go over this typical thing of dreams and becoming reality or not. Um, I really don't care. I just mm-hmm. dreamt of tsunamis several times before. So I was very, very afraid of tsunamis. Um, I was living in Japan with my family and everybody, I mean, the, 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 the earth has earthquakes from time to time and mm-hmm. people get a bit scary, especially the foreign people. The <laughs> Japanese are very used to that and they know when it's getting dangerous. But um, I didn't care about the earthquake. I was always asking about tsunamis. I remember looking for, for um, like a house in Japan and asking the real estate man, what about the tsunami? Is, is this house safe? And that woman told me, I've been 25 years working in real estate and nobody asked me such a strange question. I said, I'm sorry, I'm a bit, I'm a bit strange. He told me, don't worry, a tsunami is going to be really safe. Uh, I didn't know what a tsunami was, but I was, had a feeling inside of, wow, wow. Um, The day of the tsunami, um, the day before I was like a um, nervous animal, really, really feeling very, something is going on, something is going on. And my husband was like, you women are so strange, just calm down. I was, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. So when the tsunami came, uh, I just knew this was a tsunami. So on the morning of the 26th, Jay and his sister Kali were asleep in bed. They didn't know that a massive earthquake had just struck off the coast of Sumatra. Their parents and sister were already off on their dive. Jay, of course, couldn't dive because of his injured neck, so Kali stayed behind with him. The dive that morning was a bit of a challenge. The ocean's current had been behaving weirdly. When the divers finally found a place to drop in, they hit the water and then they immediately noticed the strong current. It was a bizarre feeling. Not only that, but all of the fish were gone. Something was definitely up. None of the divers had felt a strong current like this before. Sally, Jay's stepmom, felt herself being pulled into a whirlpool. By the time she steadied herself, she had realized that everyone else had gotten separated. Meanwhile, Maria was lounging by the resort pool with her family. Her three sons were laughing and playing in the pool with their father. On the outside, everything looked picture perfect. But Maria had been anxious all day. She didn't know why she was so nervous. Something just made her feel uneasy. But there was, in fact, something terrible brewing in the ocean. People just didn't know it yet. After the earthquake hit, a meteorologist in Thailand realized that large tsunami waves were headed to their shores. Seven years before the disaster, he had warned Thai officials that the country needed a better plan in place in the event of a tsunami. But some of those officials didn't think tsunamis were a real issue there. They ignored the meteorologist's warning. And some of them are believing me, but some of them uh, uh, think that uh, my issue, early issue of the nature disaster in in this area will create uh, panic to the people and destroy the tourism industry and so on. So what action was taken after you issued your warning in 1998? No, no action had taken at all. That's horrific. Well, they don't want to make people afraid to go there because of the risk of 
tsunamis, which I get to some extent, but at the same time, don't you want your tourists to be safe too? Like, yeah, and I'd feel more comfortable as a tourist knowing there's a plan in place. Right, for if something, something does happen here, yeah. you're in an area where this could happen, so here's the plan if it does. There was plenty of time to alert everyone of the impending danger on Boxing Day, but the meteorologist wasn't able to send out an official warning. So you know this wave's coming yeah. towards the yeah, coast. I know, I know, I know. I know, and exactly, I know. So there's still time to warn. Oh, a lot of time. At least 45 minutes or one hour. And you weren't able to get your warning? No, I cannot even get to warn anybody. Meteorologists in Hawaii picked up the massive earthquake on their alert system, and they tried to send out a warning that the tsunami was on its way, but nobody in Thailand was monitoring these alerts. And just like in Banda Aceh, the ocean's tides started to recede back from Thailand's coast, and the receding water exposed over a kilometer of the seafloor. Well, my heart was pounding because I remember an um, incident at Papua New Guinea a few years ago where uh, maybe a similar thing happened, and I thought it must be an earthquake out there in the ocean, and we had to get out of there. So we ran. Come, bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 come, come, come. If we had been any slower, we would have certainly died. It's a matter of life and death. And to those people behind you? Yes, same fate. I, I, fear, I fear the worst for them. They would have drowned. Yeah, the water had gone. It was, it was, there was nothing in the bay. It was just the sand and coral sticking out. Oh. I looked out further and I could see a white line and it, you could see a white wall of water. Race down the stairs. By the time I got to the bottom of the stairs, the water was already going past the building. And all I knew was that the girls were by the pool. So many tourists saw the tide receding and got curious, of course, because this is something you don't ever see. Yeah. So they're snapping pictures, they're wandering around the seafloor, which was filled with beached fish and boats, and they didn't realize the danger that they were in. But one young girl visiting from the UK knew that a quickly receding tide was a very bad sign. She had just learned about the dangers of tsunamis in school. So she grabbed the rest of her family and got them up to higher ground. I said, there's definitely going to be a tsunami. My mum didn't believe me. She didn't really act. And so she just kept on walking. And my dad sort of believed me. And Holly, was, my sister, was getting really scared. So she ran back to the pool. And then my dad went back with her. And then I said, right, Mum, I'm going. I'm definitely going. There is definitely going to be a tsunami. And she just, mm, bye then. So I went back and she wanted, she was sort of reacting a bit more when I had gone. And so she went back to see if I was okay. And then the minute that she had come back, it, the, the water started coming up the beach. Thai locals started running away from the beach and they shouted at tourists to run away too. But, but a lot of those tourists didn't listen. They watched as the water rushed back and formed a massive wave. Grab your stuff, screw your stuff at this point. Yeah, quick, quick! Run! 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 Run!
That is so what eerie. Just to see people oh. standing there too. That was oh. the moment I realized that you are really in danger. We müssen weg. Nach hinten, komm. Wir müssen nach hinten. And then it just went straight over Whoa. one of the ships. Now in that moment, I knew how big the wave was. So that's when I started running. I ran into the lobby. I grabbed one girl and said, go upstairs, because I thought, if it's bigger than that, you can't outrun it anyway. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my god, the sea had just come in. It was like the hotel was a boat, and around me was the sea. And I could see the wave heading directly to where my house and family were. One thing that's interesting that I read is that um, palm trees were one of the few things that actually were able to like survive mm. the tsunami because their roots, I guess, are really far deep into the earth. So they said that like a lot of the palm trees stayed, oh, wow. stayed up, stayed standing, which this footage kind of shows. Yeah, that. I was actually thinking that. I mean, they're so strong. It's almost like you'd want to climb one of them if, yeah. like, that was your only option. Like, try oh, to yeah. climb up a palm That's tree. That's gotta be so hard, especially in a panic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, especially no for a branches, tourist or something. I mean, but I mean, the locals know how to climb the palm trees and get coconuts. Maybe some and of like them. That. Or if you have, you know, one of those straps, you can like climb up it. Have you ever seen that? Seen yeah, somebody but climb up? What are the chances you're gonna have that on hand? True, but you could take your shirt or something. Like, you pull your shirt yeah. off and go like this. I guess it's wrap it up a into good like thing a thing. To know, yeah. That's what I keep thinking. I'm like, if that if I was in that situation, I'd probably start trying to climb a palm tree if I couldn't outrun it. Because I think I think the thing with tsunamis too that you don't even you, you know you keep expecting to see like standing you know people are standing on the shore they hear tsunami and they're expecting to see this like wave that's like as tall as like a huge building or something. No. And it's not necessarily the height that's scary; it's the force at which right. it comes in right. and it just plows right. Mm-hmm. over the beach mm-hmm. and it's it almost reminds me of like a lava flow from yeah, a volcano it looks like that the way that the water comes in and just yeah takes out everything it's, and it's hard to even tell in the video footage just how strong that water is yeah and it's moving very very fast and especially the fact that it has all the debris along yeah, and you're with just it. getting i mean yeah. if you're in that water you're you're gonna either drown or you're gonna get yeah. you know killed by something that's also in the water with you so scary so as you can see in the footage, many of the tourists were just kind of fascinated with the low tide and this unusual wave approaching. And it wasn't like anything they had seen before. It was hard to tell how big the wave really was. But as it got closer and closer to the beach, it started growing in size. 
And in hindsight, it makes us wonder why some people didn't get out of the way sooner. But the reality is many people had no idea what they were really looking at. So a lot of them stayed close to the shoreline to check it out. By the time that some of them realized that they were in serious danger, it was already too late. 90 minutes after the initial earthquake, the tsunami reached Thailand. That's crazy fast. Here's a video of waves destroying. Oh, this shows you how fast the water's moving. Wow. Oh my God. So this is in Kowlak. Holy smokes. Just flattened it. Other than a few buildings. It's unbelievable. So if you can find a secure building, it's obviously best if we get on the roof, but... So here's another video of waves flooding the shore as people watch in Kolanta. He just had no idea. Look at those waves. Look how big those waves are. Even the casual way the person behind the camera is talking, <laughs> laughing, just had no idea. And here's video footage of a resort in Thailand flooding. God, we're leaving. Oh my God, look at the waves coming. Clear out, people! Clear out! I hope no one was out there. Oh my God, look out. Get in the room, get in the room, get in the room. No, 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 no. Stay. It's okay, girls. That is so scary. Uh, oh, those people. It's okay, it's okay. We're leaving today if we can get out of here. No, you're not. And this is the no longer the beautiful place that it once was. Thank goodness we're on the third floor. TVs floating, Pool's gone. oh, mattresses, oh, I hope that people are okay. Are you Dude, okay? They're not. The first floor is completely underwater at this point. Yeah. Just hold on. And you're not necessarily safe just because you're on the third floor. I mean, no. the building could be no. swept away yeah. and, and crumble. I don't even think this guy realizes the danger that he's possible. Yeah. Oh my God, this is a devastating. We're not going anywhere today. Yeah. Now you realize. Well, again, I mean, it's just people had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So going back to Jay, Jay woke up to the sound of his sister screaming. When he looked out the window, he saw a massive wave heading straight for their bungalow. Jay yelled out that they needed to leave, and he ran for the door. But the wave came crashing in, and all of a sudden, he was underwater. While Maria sat by the pool, she heard a loud noise. She looked around at the sunny skies around her and was very confused. Nobody recognized the strange, roaring sound. You know, hearing the sound for the first time and stuff, um, you knew at that instant that's what it was? Or no, did you... no. When, we, when I hear the, the, the sound of this monster coming, mm-hmm. we had seconds of saying, what is going on? Um, I've never lived that in my life. Then I realized how, how, how separated we are from nature. We, we don't recognize what is going on in life when, when, when the earth is alive. And, um, I remember, I'm, 
being on the tree and seeing a, a native man up on the palm of the tree that I think this is on the film somebody just take being grabbed there that man could could do something he recognized what is going on what was going on we, we couldn't um, no not during the sound of the the monster coming but when I saw the big wall black wall then I thought okay that is coming for us Maria's oldest son, 10-year-old Lucas, hopped out of the pool to grab a ball when he noticed his mom was staring at something off in the distance. When he looked up, he saw a giant black wave headed straight for the resort. Maria screamed out for her husband and the boys. A few seconds later, though, they were all underwater. The wave was so strong and so fast it felt like she was being thrown around a washing machine. I seriously cannot even imagine being in that situation. You'd have to think so quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's a life or death situation. Mm -hmm. Fight or flight kicks in. But for three minutes, Maria was trapped under the wave. She tried to breathe, but water just kept filling her lungs. Finally, Maria felt her lungs expand with air. She was above the water's surface. She reached out to a nearby palm tree and clung onto the trunk for safety. Her chest and thigh had deep gashes in them, and they started to bleed profusely. The pain was excruciating. Maria felt like she was dying. When she saw her son Lucas a few meters away, she knew she had to stay strong. So Maria swam through the current and pulled her son towards another tree. And the two of them grabbed on and tried to look for the rest of the family, but they were nowhere in sight. Kike and the other two boys had gotten separated from Maria and Lucas. When the water receded, Kike thought he was the only family member who survived. By then, he heard his eight-year-old son, Tomas, shouting his name. Tomas managed to reach the palm tree his father was holding on to for safety and the two of them waited there for a half hour while the wave ripped through the resort. And then all of a sudden, Kike heard a voice. It was five-year-old Simon calling out for help. The boy was able to get out from under the rushing water. Meanwhile, the massive wave dragged Jay a mile away from the shore. He tried to grab onto anything that he could to steady himself, but it was no use. The current was just too strong. It tossed him around like a rag doll and pelted him with debris. Jay felt like his whole body was being hit with razor blades, bricks, in concrete. Meanwhile, he's recovering from a serious injury. injury. I mean, God. I tried to swim to nearby balconies or grab onto concrete poles or anything else I could find, but there was no way to fight against its massive power. 
It was like being in a washing machine with bricks and wood, <clears throat> glass, razor blades, concrete, and shrapnel. I could have given up and drowned so easily, but I just kept telling myself it wasn't my time to go. Many victims who were swept out to sea found themselves trapped in whirlpools with no way to swim out of them. The currents were extremely strong, but suddenly the water began to recede. It was as if the ocean was sucking it all back in, and it seemed like the flooding was over for now. And then it went back again, like the ocean sucked the water back again. See, look, see the blue's coming back now, and the tide's going away. There's people in the sea. I don't know what happened. It's going out, it's going out. I think at that point, people felt safe going back again. And I think a lot of people went down to just see the devastation. The boats are now dry where they weren't. So it's still rolling out. We've never seen this many rocks. Something is big and it's coming our way. People were also starting to shout for help and trying to free themselves from the rubble. They called out to relatives and helped others who were injured. Other people went back down to the beach to look at the damages. At that point, I wasn't worried at, at all because this was very calm, the weather was nice, and I thought this will be expensive for the hotel because it will be a lot of water damage. And then it went back again. Meanwhile, Jay felt the water around him pull back. He was able to stand up and walk toward a road. It was incredibly difficult, though, because his leg had a huge 8-inch gash in it. A group of Thai women saw Jay limping towards the street and screamed at the sight. Jay tried to look for his sister, Kali, but he couldn't find her anywhere. A local Thai man saw Jay and immediately drove him to a nearby clinic, and from there Jay was airlifted to a hospital in Bangkok. Another local rescued Maria and her son Lucas from a tree. She was in really bad shape, but the man was determined to keep her alive. He dragged her injured body through the mud and made sure that she got to the people who could take her to the hospital. Kike had no idea that Maria and Lucas had made it out alive, though. He didn't think he'd be able to find them, but he still held out hope. There was another man nearby who was missing his wife. Kike decided to team up with the man to look for his wife and son. So Kike agreed to leave the two boys on the hotel's roof with other survivors. It was a tough choice to make, but he figured it was his best shot at finding the rest of his family. Meanwhile, Jay's father, Stu, his stepmom, Sally, and his sister, Shanti, were on a boat back from scuba diving. They'd felt the strong waves while they were underwater that morning, but they didn't realize what was happening. The scuba instructor told them that an earthquake had hit and they needed to head back. Debris was floating everywhere and the divers pulled floating survivors onto the boat's deck. When they got closer to the shore, the scene shocked them. Boats were completely destroyed. The water had turned the hotels into nothing more than a pile of ruins. But the most horrifying sight was the bodies that lay on the shore. As we approached the beach, we could see that the hotels were gone. They had been flattened, basically. I mean, almost like a nuclear holocaust. Everything's flattened. Then we started seeing trails of debris. But then we see a person 
And we picked up five or six people, we picked up a dead body. Began to be surrealistic at that point. There were thousands of people who were dead on that beach. The family immediately realized that they needed to find Jay and Collie. But all of a sudden, they heard a warning coming from the diving boat. There was another massive wave coming. And people only had 40 minutes to literally run for their lives. Joshua staked the lives of his family on a single decision. He spotted a local man moving into a side alley and chose to follow him instead of the crowd. This one person made a judgment and decision that looked logical. I was really petrified. I didn't know what to do. I was like, no, no, Josh, follow the crowd. He's like, no, trust me. The stranger led them to safety, high above a construction site. Down below, the panicking crowd ran straight into the path of another wave. Uh, Jack, Jack, stay up here. I'm okay. There was no where you could run to other than up. So anyone who was trying to hide or get behind anything were making the wrong decision. The decision was, was up. The moment the water level dropped, the Magnus family left their refuge and headed for higher ground. People began noticing that the tide was getting lower and lower again. The seafloor was now exposed even more than before. The Bryces ran to the bungalow to try and find Jay and Kali, but the two are gone. But they'd found some of their things. Kali's bathing suit top, and we found Jay's torn jeans, and we just dug through the rubble looking for them. It was horrific. There is no, I, I just don't have any other word to describe. Um, we just sat on the steps of the bungalow and mourned. I had hope that they were alive, but I didn't believe they were alive. I had accepted that I had lost both of my ch youngest children. And for that to happen so quickly and you have to wrap your mind around that and go into search mode and mourning mode that quickly, I, I just can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, all I could do was just hope and pray that they'd find Jay and Kali safe. And just as quickly as the water receded, it started rushing back. And this second wave was much more powerful than the first one. Feet tall. Wow. Easy. It's really hard to see on camera just Yeah. Kidding, kidding, kidding. That's a big wave. Holy shit. Oh, we're at guy. It was a frightful experience. Every wave that came in after that one, I don't know if there were three or four, maybe five waves, were getting stronger. Yeah, and the water is really one thing. It's the debris. 
it's just makes it so so much worse yeah after the first wave come have many many boy from many people help me help me many women the second wave come everything quiet wow quiet nothing you think those people have been killed the wave slammed into other beach towns along the coast within a few minutes these towns were flooded with fast moving seawater and everything was gone in an instant and nobody could believe their eyes you can't really understand what you're seeing because just like 30 or maybe 60 seconds earlier you were down there on the ground running and now it's maybe 10 feet three meters of water covering the whole island So this is in uh, Phuket. Meanwhile, Kike was spending hours looking through hospitals trying to find his wife and son, and each time he came out of a different hospital without seeing them, he grew more and more hopeless. But then, Kike got the biggest shock of his life. He was wandering through yet another hospital when he found Maria and Lucas. They were both alive. Maria was still in very rough shape, but they were alive. My grandpa was visiting Thailand when this happened. And I remember I was with my mom. We were like in Toys R Us. And then all of a sudden, I just remember her totally panicking, especially back then in 2004, because like there's no... Well, there's not that there's no news, obviously, but it's a lot harder to yeah. get to, especially like when you're in public and stuff. Get yeah. updated. Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just remember she was like panicking and crying. I was like, what's going on? And she was like, there's a tsunami in Thailand. That's where grandpa is. And I was like, I didn't know what a, t- I didn't know what a tsunami was. Um, she's like, it's a big wave. And yeah, I think he was way inland, though. I wish he was. He had passed away when I was pretty young. So I like never really asked him about it. But oh the timing of that so scary i mean i'm yeah. sure just being in thailand during this mm-hmm. was just right. crazy with people moving away from the you know how yeah. many people are displaced yeah. because of this yeah. they'll have to move farther inland mm-hmm. and uh you know move towards bangkok yeah i'm sure that was an experience that a lot of people were having just right having family that were visiting, visiting yeah you know, tons of tourism there, not even knowing what to think not even having a concept of what a tsunami is or like how widespread the damage right. is or how horrific it is and i think the fact that it happened in you know 2004 versus nowadays right because while yeah there were cell phones like it's more rare i think back then for you to be able to contact someone 
via cell phone from halfway around the world. Right. You know, it was either A, really expensive, or B, just maybe you didn't have service there. Mm-hmm. Who knows? So it's like, yeah. Yeah, I remember she was just panicking. And How did she find out? She told me that she's pretty sure her sister called oh, someone her. called her. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, or like sent her a text yeah, or something. It's not like you're going to get like alerts. No. Yeah, 2004. Yeah, I was in mm. fourth grade, yeah. After this happened in Phuket, tourism decreased 50%. Yeah. Wow. I believe it. And tourism is the one of the biggest yeah. industries there in Thailand, I believe. So It's huge. To have a 50% reduction in in that was mm-hmm. really, really bad for the economy. But, yeah. I mean, what are they supposed to do? They have to rebuild the entire coastline. Right. They can't even... There's no, I mean, people go there people. for yeah. beach resorts and all that, so... Yeah. The tsunami caused unspeakable, tragic loss of human life. I mean, just in crazy numbers. And it's hard to describe in words just how devastating and traumatic this disaster actually was. But the powerful tsunami killed over 150 thousand people by the end of the day and in total over 225,000 people were killed by the tsunami and its after effects families who were separated in the floods now had to try to reunite with each other and find their missing loved ones once the waves stopped many victims had to fight for survival wreckage from the tsunami covered the streets of Banda Aceh and there were just bodies lying everywhere Local mosques became makeshift morgues. That's how bad it was. Bodies lined the floors, and people looked over each one of them in case their missing loved one had died in the disaster. Can you imagine the trauma? Yeah. After Wadari was rescued, she returned to the city, and the streets were filled with wreckage and people crying. So she walked to a mosque to try to find her family, but none of them were there. But some families were able to reunite. In Banda Aceh, a woman and her husband were devastated when they thought their son had died in the tsunami, and they never gave up looking for him. One day, though, she got word of a boy at a nearby orphanage trying to find his parents. And when she saw the boy's picture, she broke down because it was her son. He was still alive after all. Although this was not the case for many others, one-third of the tsunami's victims were children. The Bryshas spent the next 24 hours searching for their two missing kids, Jay and Kali. Eventually, they were able to check out a list of people who had been brought into hospitals. And that's how they discovered that Jay was recovering at a hospital in Bangkok. We found Jay's name on a list. Jay's alive. Oh, my God. But where is he? And it took us several days to find him. Jay was in Bangkok Hospital, and they flew me out to be with him. I stood by his bed... He opened his eyes, and he smiled. I kissed him on the forehead, and he said, I'm just so glad to know that you're all alive. And he said, have you found Kali? I said, no, but Shanti and your dad are still looking for her. And he nodded, and he said, they won't find her. She's gone. So Jay was obviously really happy to actually see his family because he figured that he would just go back home to Salt Lake City as an orphan. The day after the tsunami, Wadari was still out searching for her family. It was starting to look like nobody else had made it. But then she saw someone pass by on a motorbike. On the day after, I was looking at the people. They were going with everything they could take. Some of them got nothing. 
but most of them with family. So, you know, I, I start to think that maybe I was not lucky to, to meet one of my family. And then suddenly my husband passed with a motorcycle, you know. So at first I was shocked. I, I thought it was impossible. And then I, you know, I shake my eyes and then, you know, I start again. Yeah, that, that, that's him. So I call him. So I'm one of the lucky people. I found one of my family. About a week after the tsunami, the Breisch family returned to Kalak to search for Kali. They visited a board full of photos of bodies recovered that needed identifying. And sadly, that is where they found a picture of Kali. She hadn't survived. International aid workers and volunteers rushed to all the affected areas. They were in dire need of medical assistance and supplies like food and clean water. In Aceh, workers had collected thousands of bodies and they had to load them onto trucks. These trucks had to bring these dead bodies to mass graves, and tens of thousands of people were laid to rest in these mass graves in Aceh and Thailand. At the time, Sri Lanka was dealing with a civil war. There were huge concerns that the flooding spread out old landmines from the conflict around the area. Mined areas were clearly marked with signs and fences, but people worried that those markings were washed away by the flood. So a Norwegian aid group sent a team of minesweepers to locate any mines that might have moved. And thankfully, they didn't find many. And there were no deaths actually caused by the landmines, but just another thing for people to worry about. The international response to the disaster was one of the largest humanitarian efforts in history. But the aid efforts ran into many challenges. For example, many international aid workers who came into the area had a lot more money to spend than the locals. In Aceh, inflation rose by over 30%, and the cost of living just skyrocketed. Also, thousands of acres of farmland were destroyed by the flooding. All that salt from the water made it impossible for essential crops to grow. There was also another major challenge in Aceh. There was a civil conflict happening there as well. For three decades, a separatist group called GAM and the Indonesian government had been fighting a guerrilla war. So much of the province had been destroyed by the tsunami, but the civil conflict continued after the tsunami. Local leaders were worried that the conflict would interfere with their recovery efforts. If volunteers and civilians were killed or supplies were destroyed, an already terrible situation would get much, much worse. The local community knew that they needed both sides of the conflict to reach some sort of peace agreement. If not, many more lives would be lost, and the province may never recover from the tsunami. The Indonesian government and GAM started peace negotiations and tried to work towards a deal. On August 15th, 2005, the Indonesian government and GAM reached a peace agreement. It had been almost a year since the tsunami hit, and the disaster allowed both sides to find some common ground. The people of Aceh were so relieved and happy to finally have peace. After almost 30 years of fighting, it had finally stopped. Now everyone could focus on rebuilding their lives and their communities. Houses were rebuilt, and the city of Banda Aceh slowly started to piece itself back together. People got married, had children, attended school, laughed with their friends, and enjoyed quality time at home. Life started to go on. But it was still going to take a lot for the people to recover psychologically from this disaster. Many children were just traumatized by the sudden loss of their families and friends. And many parents, the loss of their kids is still incredibly painful to this day. 
Survivors leaned on their faith and the support of their fellow community members to help them through their grief. Thanks to the massive recovery efforts, Bend Aceh is now a thriving city. The 2004 Boxing Day tsunami was the worst tsunami in recorded history. The humanitarian response to the disaster was one of the largest in the world. Over $13.5 billion were raised from aid efforts across the globe. The largest amount of aid money went to Indonesia since it was the country that was hit the hardest by the tsunami. The United Nations designated November 5th as World Tsunami Awareness Day to help prevent another tsunami catastrophe. It's important to be aware of a tsunami's warning signs, an earthquake receding water and a loud roar coming from the ocean like a jet engine. When these warning signs appear, people may have up to five minutes to get to safety. That means moving inland and up to higher ground. First, understand the warnings. If an official warning is issued, do what it says. Just as important, pay attention to warnings Mother Nature provides. You may feel a strong or long earthquake. You may see the ocean suddenly rise or fall or hear a loud roar. If you experience any of these, a tsunami could be coming. Protect yourself. Quickly move to high ground or inland away from the water. Stay out of the tsunami hazard zone until officials tell you it's safe. The first wave may not be the last or the largest. Dangerous currents are possible for several hours or days. Prepare yourself by doing a little homework. Think of the places where you spend your time and map out routes to safe places, high ground or inland, away from the water. Practice walking these routes so they become familiar. Be prepared and stay safe. This vital information actually saved many lives during the tsunami. A man in India saved nearly his entire village of 1,500 people from being killed by the waves. He'd recently seen a National Geographic documentary on tsunamis where he learned that quickly receding water signaled danger. So when he saw the water recede, he rang the alarm and led villagers to safe higher ground. Knowledge about tsunamis saved thousands of people, but a lack of official warning killed tens of thousands more. In response to the disaster, multiple countries came together to form the Indian Ocean Tsunami Warning System. This system detects possible tsunamis in the ocean and sends out warnings that save lives. What's crazy is that many wild animals were able to escape the tsunami waves based on instinct. It seemed like many animals could sense what was about to happen before the massive waves hit. In the few minutes before the waves hit, witnesses reported seeing animals book it towards higher ground. Some people said their dogs refused to go outside, and zookeepers noticed that many animals ran to their enclosures and refused to come out. Flamingos in the area abandoned their breeding grounds and flew inland. Elephants screamed and ran as fast as they could towards higher ground. Animals have many heightened senses, including hearing, that warn them of danger before humans realize what will happen. Scientists think that these animals may have sensed the Earth's vibration change and alerted them to the oncoming tsunami. So another tsunami warning sign is seeing groups of animals that start to run for the hills, literally. Sometimes they know when disaster is about to strike before we do. The earthquake was so powerful that it even changed the length of a day but only by a minuscule amount. As a result of the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake, each day on Earth became 2.68 microseconds shorter. One microsecond is one millionth of a second. That's because the shift in tectonic plates and the massive energy release made the planet a little less round. But every year, the moon's tidal effects actually increased the length of a day by 15 microseconds, so the time effects of the earthquake were made up pretty quickly. Widari Dewam's other family members did not survive the tsunami. She keeps her memories close to her heart and she knows that she'll reunite with them one day. Today, she and her husband still live in Banda Aceh and they have two children. 
Jay Bryce and his family struggled to pick up the pieces after they came back to Salt Lake City. Since he suffered so many injuries, Jay was in a lot of pain. He was also on a lot of medication for a while. Mourning the loss of his sister was very difficult. His grief, his medications, and his injuries made him feel numb. He spent a lot of time in bed. But three years later, Jay wanted to honor his sister and get back to living his life. He got off his medications and got back to doing what he loved, making music. My sister Kali had saved my life and lost her own. And that's not what she would have wanted for me. And I knew my life was meant for much more. So I got back on track. I got rid of the meds and found a regimen that allowed me to function again. The pain was, and still is, there. But at least I could manage it. I threw myself back into all the things I hadn't been able to do for years. I started playing and writing music again. I forced myself into college even though I'd been out of school for four years. And school and music really helped change my life a lot for me. The change got my momentum going. I did well in school, I played in tons of groups, and actually lived for the first time in years. For me, that was one of the most important parts of my entire experience, deciding that I could get over what I had gone through. Today, Maria still works as a doctor. She's also a motivational speaker and an advocate for tsunami survivors. Kike devotes his time to volunteer work with the NGO Proactiva Open Arms, and the group helps assist and rescue refugees as they make their way to the Greek island of Lesbos. Their son, Tomas, ended up training to become a beach lifeguard when he was 17. His experience surviving the tsunami inspired him to start the training and save lives. There are a couple elements that are important whenever we tell the story of what happened. The first is the humanity of what we saw, how people helped each other anonymously. They didn't have to be from the same country, from the same race, from the same religion. Uh, so, you know, it was humans helping humans. And to me, that is always the core of the message of what I tell. I think the second is that a lot of what happened on the day that the tsunami hit could have been avoided. If the warning systems had worked, if the governments had collaborated, if you know, everything had worked as it should have worked, we could have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. And I think that you know, while it's important that we reflect on the past and, and know that, it, it's also equally important that we change the future. It's never easy to go back to the moments of the tsunami and what happened in the aftermath, but it's so important to get the message out there that, and, and I'm so fortunate to be able to share the story um, that I think that it's, it's you know, a higher cause that we need to fight for. Lucas studied medicine at a university in London, and now he works as a doctor, just like his mom. And Simon went on to study in the Netherlands, and he volunteered as a lifeguard with the same NGO his father helps out at. So I was looking at some studies about physical health and how it's been impacting people from the tsunami that they experienced. And I found a study showing that 13 years after the tsunami, adults who directly experienced the tsunami had thicker waists, were more likely to have elevated inflammation levels indicating infection or illness, and more likely to have difficulties regulating glucose levels. And survivors who directly experienced the tsunami are at higher risk for chronic illness such as heart disease and diabetes. One thing I found that was really interesting is, quote, for every young children we found, the exposure to the tsunami could leave its mark on growth. Child height is a powerful predictor of health, mortality, and socioeconomic status in adulthood. It is largely determined in its first few years of life. We document that children who are in utero at the time of the tsunami were small at birth and significantly shorter at age three. Wow. That's so before they were even born. Hmm. For many of the children... The deficits were made up in subsequent years, and they eventually attained the same height, given age and gender, as peers not yet conceived 
when the tsunami took place. So it's kind of suggests that they were able to, you know, be resilient and get back to, I guess, the, what the norm is considered. And then also they said, we found that among those who owned homes that were destroyed, 80% had a replacement house within five years of the disaster. Those who were economically worse off before the tsunami were more likely to receive an assistance house. So both quantitative data and in-depth interviews suggest that housing programs uh, were the most important type of assistance people received. So, yeah, I mean, it is interesting how resilient people are despite experiencing something so terrible and some of them experiencing it before they even were born um i wonder why that is though i wonder why what like what's actually happening there yeah i'm curious higher risk for chronic illnesses as heart disease and diabetes i'm like well what's causing that like um is there like some correlation between trauma yeah and yeah the after effects i would say that because trauma is i mean mental health is psychosomatic so it has to do with physical and mental well-being so i would i mean i have to look into it more but i would think that probably because of the trauma they've experienced that something in their body was triggered to mm-hmm. whether that's you know higher cortisol and then that triggers health issues i'm not really sure i'd have to look more into it but for sure people who and that's i mean if you look at statistics folks who are in a lower socioeconomic status are more likely to experience health problems just mm. because of the fact that they're under stress and right right well know. i mean we know that stress has a direct effect on your yeah, physical yeah. health so it makes sense and especially if you amplify that stress you know times a million by yeah, yeah. experiencing this and just what people saw i mean mm-hmm. we didn't really show any of the really graphic stuff but i was looking at some of that earlier and it's just i mean it was really really scary the yeah. the aftermath when the water finally did recede of just all the bodies everywhere i mean severed body parts it was yeah. it was a yeah. really it makes sense that it would affect the unborn as well mm-hmm. and all the stress right. that the mothers are going through yeah i was watching this one interview of this guy who was talking about how he is scared to go to sleep and he can't even like close his eyes because the second he closes his eyes he just has immediate visions of yeah what he experienced Especially with how fast it comes on, mm-hmm. it would be hard to go to sleep not knowing what could happen while you're asleep. Right, right. Every year on the anniversary of the tsunami, the family gathers on the beach. At the water, the family honors the memory of all those who died in the disaster. And almost two decades later, the world still remembers all of those who tragically lost their lives on December 26, 2004. Eleven years ago, this small fishing village lost more than half its population when the devastating Boxing Day tsunami struck Thailand's coast. Today, relatives of the victims gathered at Tsunami Memorial Park, bringing flowers and prayers for their loved ones. So we know that was kind of a different type of topic and pretty intense um, but I think it's important. It's educational. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you never know when you could be somewhere that could experience a tsunami. And to have the knowledge is to really have power in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know I learned a lot just researching Me this, this, this topic. And mm-hmm. I, I think the common misconception of a tsunami, if, if you were just to yeah. go on the street and ask people, they'd be like, oh, it's one big wave. That For hits. sure. But it's, that's definitely what and, I thought. And that's what people think is like this you know, tower of a wave that hits and like, that's it. But it's really this chain of events that happen. And obviously the the human instinct is to go out after the first wave hits and 
check on people, try to help. Right. But it's actually more dangerous because there's yeah. multiple waves that hit, which so I never knew there was. Lost their lives just from going out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think too, whenever you, whenever you talk about people's survival stories, I think there's something inspiring about mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. you know, the as dark as this topic is, the sort of positive you can take away from it is just despite going through hell on earth pretty much people come out the other side stronger oftentimes and with a whole new lease on life right you just like have a whole new appreciation for life and i think there's just something so inspiring about that and that's why i love survival stories is because it just kind of Mm -hmm. it helps remind you of just how mortal we are just how precious life is and and how resilient we can be right and that even if you could go through the absolute worst possible thing, but if you're able to survive it and come out yeah. the other side, that there can be positives to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like with many of the people we talked about, they've gone on and to do great things and yeah. help a lot of people. And at the, in the documentary we were watching, there is a, a guy that actually returned to Thailand afterwards, after the whole destruction, and uh, is doing like volunteer work to help rebuild mm-hmm. homes and things like that. It's just really cool. Like, mm-hmm this type of event can be a life-changing moment for yeah. people and can end up, you know, comp- it can definitely redirect your life mm-hmm. in a negative or a positive way. And Bring I just think whole communities yeah, together. Yeah, exactly. And it just shows like, you know, we're all in this together. We're all mm-hmm. on this planet. We're all, you know, yeah. under the control of mother nature at the end of the day, even finding peace you know, right. at the end. Yeah. So yeah, let us know what you guys thought of this episode and if we should do more episodes like this in the future. Yeah, and I'd if we do, interested. what what other you know natural disasters mm-hmm. or events should we cover? Yeah, and just a reminder, we do have a request form if you would like to submit anything there. It's kind of easier for us to keep track than if you leave a YouTube comment. Right, or right. That's very true. So we're going to go ahead and end this episode there. We will see you guys next time. And until then, keep on taking your mind a mile higher.